Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 60 in the Old Testament. So the last time we came together, we, it, the sermon was titled, Sin Separates But God. And last Sunday, we really got a good foundation of what is sin. People talk about sin to varying levels. You know, um, what am I doing is what I'm doing is sin. So if you didn't get that, if you weren't here, you can get it for free on the website. It's really a good education on why we need Jesus as our Savior. So very important. Um, last Sunday and this morning, the message is titled Brighter Days. Now for the Israelites, with the backdrop of going through some pretty bad persecution, roughly 7th century BC in Babylon, God's going to release them. But you know, the Israelites have their ups and downs. You can find this in the Bible. You could also find it in secular history. Same thing. They match up. Uh, And God was just trying to encourage them about the work he was going to do in their lives. But he also spoke about the millennial kingdom, which we're going to talk about, which I talk about a lot, which I'm going to start explaining more. Because people say, what is the millennial kingdom? What are dispensations? We're actually going to cover that this morning. But the title is Brighter Days, because in the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter, God speaks about himself as light and with the backdrop of the millennial kingdom. And I really love that because in the Old Testament, God speaks about himself as light. And in the New Testament, Jesus picks that up, right? He's the light of the world. Now, we understand light. You know, we have some bulbs here and we go outside and there's the sun. It's a star. It's not the typical metrics that we understand when it comes to the light that we know. So if you talk about the sun, I love the sun, uh, but you're talking about uh, photons, you're talking about the electromagnetic wavelengths and spectrum, you're talking about radiant heat, you're talking about how the sun rising, you know, how the earth rotates and, you know, the sun's up, the sun's down, but it really is a rotational issue. Um, You're talking about how our circadian rhythms are controlled via melatonin and the pineal gland inside of our head. So when we speak about these things as God is light, the beautiful sun, which I love, I love going out on a chilly spring morning and, you know, just going outside and just for a moment, I just kind of bask in the sun. It feels good in my skin. It, It comes into my eyes. It wakes me up. But God is light is different than the created light that we see in the, uh, in the observable universe. His light is very different. We're going to talk about that. Uh, it's far superior. And then we're going to talk about really at the end when the human history starts to end, we're going to talk about how uh, his light will be there for eternity. So if we can actually, we're going to look at this in four parts. If we can put up the eight dispensations... I'm going to go through this relatively quickly because I want to do it again, but this one, I just want to give you a taste of it. So the Bible, eight dispensations, and this is how, how does God deal with his people? How does he try to help his people? How does he try to have a plan for his people throughout human history? So the first thing is innocence, right? Adam and Eve, the garden, everything is perfect. Everything is wonderful. And then sin enters the world. 
So the age of innocence ends, right? The next dispensation is conscience. Conscience is now humankind is living with their sin, with their rebellion against God, and God has to deal with them in a little bit of a different way. Sort of the expression, ignorance is bliss, kind of true in some respects, but it's over in the age of conscience. The third dispensation is government, right? We look at this with Noah after the flood and uh, everybody gets off the ark and they start populating again. Uh, There's actually laws that people have to follow. There's actually laws of civilization because of of sin. People ask about the death penalty, punishment for taking somebody's life. That all happens in this period. And then four, the dispensation of promise, Abraham, right? Something good to look forward to. A lot of messianic references, but how does faith justify us? How does faith in God to solve our problems and our difficulties and the sin problem? So this is the age of promise. The fifth dispensation is the dispensation of the law, which Moses and the Ten Commandments, why is that important? Because how do we understand our need for a savior We really don't unless we understand what sin is, and the law reveals sin. As we go through the Ten Commandments, there was actually hundreds of them. We can see that every day we fall short, and we're crying out for a mediator. We're crying out for a savior. The next dispensation is the dispensation of grace. That's where Jesus Christ comes in. It solves the problem of sin for those who desire the things of God and who desire to be reconciled back to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Um, this is interesting because uh, if you, I would just almost put an X here and say you are here. For those of you that are new to the Bible, you realize that when we look at dispensations, a lot of time has passed. We're in the sixth dispensation. There's not much more to go. And we're running out of human history. We're running out of time. God's going to do a wonderful thing. And that's where the millennial kingdom comes in. So if you were in the mall, sometimes you walk into a mall. I hate malls, by the way, uh, except for the food court. But that has nothing to do with the message. (laughs) So... I say to my wife, can we go to the food court? Yeah, okay, nothing to do with the message. Anyway, so you would put an X here and say, you are here. We are in the age of grace since Christ died for our sins. Pretty interesting. When this time period runs out, we don't know when it's going to be. Only the false teachers prophesy the end of the world. It'll come at some point, but we don't know. God knows. The next dispensation is the age of righteousness. This is the millennial kingdom. This is where Jesus comes back in the second coming, he rules from, it's not a fantasy or fairy tale, he came once, we know that. Even secular historians will all admit, even atheists will admit, somebody named Jesus showed up and some amazing things happened. So we know that there was a historical figure, Jesus, we just have to make the leap, which is not hard to do, to the Son of God actually coming. So Christ comes again a second time in this millennial kingdom, and the animals aren't tearing each other apart anymore, he stops all the wars. And this is a really neat transitional uh, period until the age of eternity, and that's it after that. And it's a really neat thing, and we're going to talk more about it. Maybe before I was a Christian, kind of freaked me out a little bit. But then when I understood God's plan for my life and the human race, I'm like, you know what, this is really cool. So fear only comes because of lack of knowledge. 
And that's what we do here at this church. We try to, we don't make you scared, but we try to educate you and edify you so you understand what is God's plan. So when you look on the news and you see the UN can't solve the problem, you see American culture is divided, you see all the nuttiness, even in our own culture, in our own nation, you don't fear. Because you're like, God's only going to allow this to happen so much more, and then he's going to come in and usher in a new kingdom. That's exciting to me. Right? New Jersey, we're overburdened by taxes and corrupt politicians on both sides. We're not going to have that anymore. So I'm really, I'm actually putting in my, I asked God if I could have a nice place on the Mediterranean, maybe Greece or something when, you know, if he wants to, he's putting people in different places, right? But we'll talk about that too. He doesn't have to listen to me. (laughs) It's just a thought. So let's jump in, in Isaiah 60. I mean, we can all dream, right? Isaiah 60. Starting with verse 1, he says, Arise, shine to the Israelites, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, we're talking about the tribulation, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So one out of these four parts is God's glory in the millennial kingdom. And this is a beautiful picture of what the earth will be like when Christ returns a second time. It's very exciting. Again, the timeline is we're in 2019. At some point, Human history runs out uh, before the revelation judgments and the Antichrist, the great globalist who's going to just plunge the world into chaos. God removes his people. He allows things to play out. He sends his judgments, and then he comes back and remakes everything. So that's kind of like the timeline that we're looking at. So the dark darkness is the tribulation. It's humanity at humanity's worst. But the light light is when after this global conflagration where the Lord comes back and reinstitute everything. Very exciting. And this is an interesting thing because there's a few things happening in a few different groups of people on the earth. This Again, this is the future. A few things is, number one is when Jesus returns a second time, he's going to come back physically. He's going to come back in glory and in power. And according to Zechariah 12.10, Israel as a nation, hard to believe when you watch the news now, but it's going to happen. Who would have believed all the things we saw in Israel regathering in 1948? Nobody would have believed it. God's word is always right. It always comes to pass. But Israel, in the future, is going to see Christ at a second coming, and nationally, they're going to repent, and they're going to accept him as their Messiah. Not a, not a fantasy here, because today in Israel, there is a large group of Christians who are Jewish. There is Israel, Israelis who have come to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. You don't see this on the news. You just got to got to get out of the American bubble. A lot of really cool things are happening in the world. So this is going to happen in the future on a national level. There's also going to be Gentile nations, so to speak, or nations that they're not Jewish and they're not Christian. They're just still secular, right? This is a transition period. And there's also going to be the unsaved. Hard to believe when they say, when they see Jesus come and actually rule in Jerusalem. But again, it's not hard to believe because Jesus, when he was here the first time, he raised the dead. He cast out demons. And there still were unbelievers and there still are today. But really what's quite fantastic is that in this first century, when they saw the dead four days in the tomb get raised up, 
What it's like, and God says in his word, some people, it doesn't matter what they see, they're still, their hearts are hardened. They're in willful darkness and willful blindness. But this light will not be coming from Israel as far as the people, but the light will be coming from the fact that Jesus Christ will be ruling from Jerusalem physically. So his light will be emanating and the world will see his light. A lot of Israelis are going to, from different uh, nations, are going to come back to Israel. They're going to regather. They want to see this thing. They want to see the Messiah. It's going to be very exciting. But let's talk about light. Remember, I talked about the metrics this morning about our light, our sun. Let's talk about God's light. If you would turn to me, uh, turn with me, Matthew 5, 14 through 16 in the New Testament. Any question that we have, Jesus answered it. Just got to read the scripture. He says to the believers, and I would imagine that if I was there, I would have been like, that's incredulous. That's me. I'm a sinner. But look what he says. 14. He says to Christians, to believers in him, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, just like Israel, Israel didn't have any light of themselves, God's light. But when you become a believer in Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And just like the moon, on a full moon, you look at the moon, you can actually see the craters from here. It's pretty fantastic. The moon looks kind of beautiful in in a sense, right, On on a dark night. That's not the moon's light. It's reflecting the light of the sun. So by the same token, we as Christians, and some Christians don't shine light, unfortunately. Uh, maybe they're not in a good place. But when we're doing it right, we shine the light of Christ. He radiates uh, from the inside of us. He's, we, he's reflected in us. And people see Jesus in us if we're doing it right. We don't always do it right. But let's look at the source of this light for the Christian. If you would turn with me to Matthew 17... 1 through 9. This is the transfiguration. So Jesus is fully God, fully man. He's there in the first century. And for his reasons, he shows himself. His, his glory starts coming through his skin, his muscles and stuff. It's fully God, fully man. Watch this. Matthew 17. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. He was changed before them. His face shone like the sun. Remember, this is humans trying to describe the thing that they saw. Completely fantastic, writing it down, and this is the best that they can do. His face shone like the sun, and his, even his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. What do you say when you see something like that? If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles or structures, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. 
But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. So this is one of those glimpses like him casting out the demons and raising the dead. Nobody can do that. So you can only come to the conclusion that he was who he said he was. But I actually, when I was on patrol, I carried these, um, these big flashlights with a real powerful halogen bulb. And if you had it on too long, you could burn your hand. But it was incredible the amount of lumens that came out of this flashlight. Actually, I've done this here. And I put the light on and I put it behind my hand and my hand turns red. See, because the light is so powerful. Now, this is just the halogen bulb. This isn't the light of God. But you can see the blood in my hand. You can see the red in it. So that's just a small analogy. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, his deity just starts to burst out from inside of him. Not only does his face change, but his clothes change too. You can't contain the light of God. So this is where we get our source from, a different type of light than we're, we're, we're used to. But we can be a part of that if we choose. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 9. This is after Christ is already resurrected, has ascended into heaven. The apostle Paul was not a nice guy, and I say that mildly, before he became a Christian. He actually persecuted Christians. So when we look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way or Christianity, they didn't know what to call it back then, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, he's probably looking up at heaven going, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So there you got the the light again. It's so powerful. It's this this supernatural occurrence that even Saul, um, he he just falls to the ground. He doesn't know what's happening at the time. It's not an earthquake. It's not an eclipse. It's not something he's ever humanly seen. And he has a, a conversion experience. And now from being a persecutor of Christians, he becomes a Christian himself. So this is the light that we're talking about. Pretty powerful stuff. So as we continue, let me just say this. As Christians... You know, some Christians see the starting line as the finish line. They come up to receive Jesus and they just kind of rest. That's the starting line, not the, not the, the end tape, so to speak. The apostle Paul speaks about the Christian life as running the race. God has work for us to do. You see problems in the world. You see war. You see problems in your own neighborhood, in your own family. God may be using you. He wants to use you. We're supposed to reflect, emanate, radiate, whatever word you want to use, the light of God to a lost and dying world. Now, I would ask the people who are new to the church. I always like to talk to new people after service if I can get their ear. And I've talked to many of you, uh, some of you watching on the live stream. And I just, you know, you kind of give me your thoughts. But my question to you is, why are you here? And why'd you come back? And then why'd you come back again? You're drawn to something. It isn't me. It isn't this church. There's something here that maybe you can't put your finger on. 
Because what we're doing is we're opening up the scripture and we're unlocking mysteries that you've never seen before. We're drawing you, so to speak, to the light of God. That's what we do here. If a church is doing it right, the church doesn't focus on itself. The pastor doesn't focus on himself. But what we do is we bring the new person to introduce them to God. Pretty neat stuff. Continuing on, verse 4 in Isaiah. It says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba. And these are just places in the Middle East, right? Now known as Saudi Arabia, now known as Jordan. The names have changed, but the geography hasn't. It's pretty neat stuff. You know, when, when everything ends, it's not going to be, I hate to break the news to you, I'm, I'm patriotic too, but the end times are really going to happen in the Middle East. The, I don't think the United States is going to be a major player based on what I read. So it's really good for us, again, to get out of the American bubble. What is going on overseas? Really important things to look at. Unfortunately, our media is obsessed with stupid things instead of real news. All those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are those who fly like a cloud and like doves to their roosts? Surely the coastlands will wait for me. And the ships of Tarshish, or Western Europe, uh, Spain, uh, Portugal area, will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Now, I could go through uh, colloquialisms. I could go through local things. Or I could just kind of point you to the general gist of what God is saying to the Israelites and how it affects us today. All right? And that's what I'm going to choose as the latter. So two out of four is there's gifts now flowing into Israel. Jesus Christ is reigning in Jerusalem. This is a future from 2019. Um, Israelites, Jewish people are coming from Russia and the United States and all over to see this thing. They want to come back to Israel and see their Messiah reigning from Jerusalem. Very exciting. We'll be excited too, you know, those of us who are believers. Um, this new dispensation, this new uh, utopia that God makes on earth. Very exciting. Um, I, I also look at something here. And when we read the scripture, we can read and... and I would say that this isn't the right way to read scripture. Some people think, well, I'm a Christian now. Um, I have to read all this scripture or God will be upset with me. No, we should read scripture, even if it's a few verses, and understand the scripture. That's the whole point of it. Not, I got to get through this big book. That's really not the point. You know, we have a Bible reading program that gives you a little bit each day that you can digest and apply to your life. So if we read too fast, we miss the little jewels that we see in the Old Testament. One of them I look at is verse 6, right? They shall bring from foreign lands, they shall bring gold and incense. What does that sound like? That sounds like the wise men, doesn't it? So the wise men from Persia or Eastern Babylonia came westward to bring these gifts to the boy king, the baby king. 
because God showed them that they had to come this way and pay homage to him and bring back the message of Christ to their lands, which was very powerful until 1979 with the Islamic Revolution. But that's another story. So when we look at this, we see they're still bringing gold and incense. Gold denotes royalty. Jesus Christ is the king reigning in Jerusalem. Incense, right? We look at frankincense, denotes priesthood. We spoke about this. The three gifts mean three different things, three different offices of Jesus Christ. There's no myrrh this time. Why is there no myrrh? What happened to the myrrh? You guys forgot the myrrh? Who didn't put it on the list? It doesn't really work like that. Myrrh signified death. Myrrh, some baby gift, huh? Frank's frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Myrrh was for embalming. When you died, you embalmed. They didn't have the methods that we have today to keep the smell down, and uh, there were different reasons why they used the myrrh. So even Jesus as a baby gets this gift of myrrh, signifying his death on the cross. Pretty impressive, isn't it? However, there's no myrrh this time. Because when Jesus comes back a second time, the first time he died for our sins, the second time it's to reclaim creation, to remake it, to make all things new, to stop the suffering. Well, why doesn't God do this? Well, why doesn't God do? He will. And then some of the people who said that, who are still rebelling against them, aren't going to be happy because that time period is going to run out. So when Jesus comes back the second time, he's still getting myrrh. I'm sorry, still getting gold still getting frankincense, but there's no need for myrrh anymore. So that's a little gem that if you read too fast, you could miss it. The second time he comes, he can't die. Remember, when he was fully God and fully man and he died on the cross, you can't kill God. So the part of him that was fully man died after he sacrificed himself for our sins. It's very technical. People who say, oh, it's just this Christianity is a fair, they have no idea. I mean, I could go into it for another 45 minutes, but I got to get through the chapter. So I'm going to continue. Also, this is important, too, because people have legitimate concerns. But Pastor Joe, there's some things that happen in Israel right now. And why are we, you know, pro-Israel and all this kind of stuff? We're, we are pro what God said in the Old Testament, his promise for a future Israel that glorifies him. Right now, Israel is being run by people who are not submitted to God. So when you see things happen in Israel and it bothers you, it isn't that we're pro how they're running it, but we're pro how God has established the borders, her right to exist, and the fact that when Jesus returns, guess what? There's going to be a new sheriff in town, right? To use a euphemism. He's going to basically say to all those that are leading it, goodbye, I'm the king, and I'm going to rule this place now in righteousness. So don't let that bother you, the things that you see in the news. Here's another thing. Our media seems to be very anti-Israel. If there's a good story, they don't... I have to tell you, the media is run by corporations. Corporations are in the business to make money. There's a reason why certain outlets say and do certain things. Israel is not the villain that the media makes them out to be either. So there's a lot of sides to this. There's a lot of facets to this. But remember, when the Lord returns, he's not going to keep these people in office. They're not submitted to him. He's going to take over and run it as a a monarchy instead of the form of government that there is right now. Plus, at that time, nationally, they will have seen Jesus in his form, in his power, and the nation will stop doing all the things that they're doing 
And they're going to immediately start changing their behavior based on this understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. So there's really a lot to this. And I got to tell you, there are some, (laughs) I don't want to cross the line and get political, but, you know, we seem to be, not necessarily we here, but there's more people that come in to government that are openly anti-Israel and openly anti-Semites, and they're not called out on it. That's disturbing. That's a very disturbing trend, by the way. But we move on. Verse 10, continuing on. We need to vet our candidates before we vote for them. It says, The sons of the foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Therefore your gates shall be open continually. There shall not be shut day or night. And there's a reason for that. That men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and the kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you will perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, the box tree together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. It's going to be these rebuilding projects that are going to go on. I will make the place of my feet glorious. Also, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you, and all those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet. And they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion, or Mount of Jerusalem, of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink dry the milk of the Gentiles, and shall milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Three, more blessings in the millennial kingdom. Construction projects, peace treaties, etc. Now, For my Bible students, some take a preterist view of prophecy. What does that mean? So when people read prophecy, they have to figure out what is God talking about? You have to look at context. You have to say, well, have have these things ever happened before? And they're obvious if the answer is no, you have to look towards the future. So the preterist interprets everything they read as something that has already happened. That's a very dangerous way to interpret prophecy. For two reasons. When you're looking at Revelation and you really start reading Revelation and look at some of the cataclysmic events that affect a third of the earth's population or more, you're like, no, there's no way that happened. When you take the, the, the sheer numbers and the empirical standards and put it up against the scripture, like that's never happened before. So with Revelation, you cannot take a preterist view. And with Israel, you really can't take a preterist view. Here's the problem with preterism. There, and, and again, not only I talked about government or Congress people that have um, anti-Israel sentiments, but I have to say that this poison is starting to affect small precincts in the American church. And I hear some preaching, and my ears can pick up because I'm, I've, I've studied the Bible for a long time. The average person hears it over and over again, and they almost start believing it. So... What happens here is it's replacement theology. And what that means is some in the church, I wouldn't say 
God's church, but the organization, have looked at Israel and her prophecies and have said, let's push Israel out of the way. That's for us. That's for the Christians. Almost like a, an imperialistic idea, uh, theologically, to move the wonderful blessings of Israel aside so that those in the church could take it. That's weird, and it's not scriptural. So if, if you're new to the, the scripture, don't freak out. It's, you know, I have to reach my Bible students on any given Sunday, and I have to reach those that have just come to Christ or are seeking. So Jesus even predicted, if we go back to verse 10, Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem, and you can find that in Luke 13 and Luke 21. Why did Jesus predict the fall of Jerusalem? Because in the first century, you can look at historical writings, Roman writings, you can even look at uh, religious writings of the Jews. The first century religious system was extremely corrupt. Jesus had his biggest problem with that first century religious system. So he predicted that in in AD 70, that that whole system, the temple and, you know, everything would be destroyed by the Romans. It's pretty, pretty heavy stuff. So Jesus says, or the Lord says in the Old Testament, in my wrath, I struck you, but in my favor, I have had mercy on you. And you see this cycle of ups and downs that the Israelites have with their God. When they get really out of control and really decadent and there's no semblance of God anywhere, he has to allow them to be humbled, the consequences of their sin. But then God also says to them, and, and this was all the way back when we were talking about the dispensations. In every dispensation, God said that if you do this, if you follow me, if you worship me, if you stop going after these weird demonic entities of, the, of your neighbors, you're going to be blessed. When you stop doing that and you look like everybody else, I'm just going to remove my protective hand. So that's what you have in here. Um, It's a lot. There's a lot here. Verse 17 and 18. Interestingly enough, 17b, he says, I will make your officers peace. Now, again, this is speaking of Israel. And your magistrates righteousness, violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. When you look at Israel today, what you find is that there's constant turmoil. If there's not rockets being shot into their nation and um, killing civilians, if there's not bombing of buses, if there's not retaliation from the Israeli army against those. So you see there's a lot of chaos. These things have not happened yet. But when we look at the news today or we see the things that are happening in Israel, there's going to be a time where there's peace. Could you imagine a world where there was no wars or battles? I don't know if, I mean, some have done studies on this. I don't know if there was ever a time in human history where there was not some, some battle, some ethnic cleansing, some war. Some, um, I looked at these, when I first started Isaiah, the statistics showed, and I looked it up in, in these sources, that there were five ongoing armed conflicts at any given time. 55, excuse me. 220,000 deaths in a year and a half period that we know of. So humankind doesn't have the power to stop war. But in the millennial kingdom, the Lord will. This is some exciting things to look forward to. People try to make their utopia here. They go out to the world, they make money, they raise families. But this is not where utopia is. I like my life. God gives me another 10 years, great. If not, I know I'm going to be with him. Uh, I enjoy every day that I'm alive. But I also submit myself to his timetable because I know that under the system that we have, it's a corrupt system. It's a sinful system. 
So what we try to do is whether God's speaking to the Israelites or he's speaking to uh, we can make the applications as Christians. God is always saying, focus on me. Look at me. Don't look at all the things around you. Sometimes trials bring people closer to God where blessings sometimes pull them away from God. When you're in a trial, you realize when somebody that you love really close or that you were loyal to stabs you in the back, you say, wow, this world's messy. Uh, or somebody rips you off or whatever, the ha- whatever happens, you know, you start to realize I have to really focus on God because I can't really focus and trust this world. But some, uh, when they're, and that's why Jesus said about the rich man getting into heaven, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Because when you're wealthy and you have everything, you almost falsely, deceptively are insulating yourself from God in trials. You see what I'm saying? So it's an interesting concept when we look at it. When I first started uh, the book of Isaiah, I talked about the United Nations and how after World War II and after, um, was it, was it Korea? Yeah, the Korean War, that there was a Russian sculptor who sculpted a man, right, beating a, uh, a sword into a pruning hook, right, or beating a... Uh, Beating the, the plowshare, uh, wow, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> and I'm on TV now, look at that. <laughs> this, this is deep stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it too here. Um, spears into pruning hooks and swords into plowshares. So in other words, God's word says about a future time that the Lord would make sure that there would be no more war. And the implements used for war would now be used for farming and natural things that people do. So anyway, this Soviet sculptor in 59 donated this sculpture to the United Nations because the two nuclear powers, the United States and Russia, were very concerned during the Cold War. That one little accident or misunderstanding would have caused the whole world to just develop into nuclear conflagration. Uh, so the, the UN took this, but the UN is powerless to stop the wars. It's also become political. If you look at why does the UN care about some wars but not others? Why do they care about some ethnic cleansing and genocide but not others? We do not have the capacity as human beings to stop this, but the Lord will. The moment he returns, and it's something very exciting to look at, just like in the first century, nobody had the power to raise a four-day-old corpse to the dead, but even though Jesus came gentle as a lamb, he could do it, right? This is the God we serve, and and I'm happy about that. Zechariah 12.2 tells us that Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling to all nations, written thousands of er, centuries B.C., And that's still true today. Jerusalem is a cup of trembling, but that's all going to change. So I guess what I'm trying to do is kind of show you the before and after pictures, in a sense. Okay, last few verses. Verse 19, it says, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. And your God, your glory, your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. 
Could you imagine how the world would look different if the trillions, if not quadrillions of dollars that all these nations, including ours, collectively spend on the military to defend ourselves? We have to. This is an age of sin, right? Every nation somehow needs to defend itself from being invaded or attacked. Imagine a day where all that money will not be used for that anymore. Imagine the Lord Jesus, when he comes back, the projects, there'll be no more poor, there'll be no more war, um, pretty amazing stuff. So the last one, four out of four, is the chapter starts with light and the chapter ends with light. Now, something interesting is happening here, for those of you that are Bible students. If you read Revelation 4, the Apostle John is brought up by the angel to kind of see the throne room of God. And he sees a lot of light. He sees a lot of colors. He sees a lot of dazzling things. He sees the living creatures, the angels. It's an amazing thing. And he's trying to write it down, like blown away by what he sees. And we read it, but it's one man's picture. The best he can do is write it with a, on a piece of paper. Um, can imagine what he actually saw. There's light there in Revelation 4. In the millennial kingdom, we see that the light will emanate from Jesus Christ. Now, I love the S-U-N. When I was younger, I guess I was a little bit of a sun worshiper. But I've moved to the S-O-N. I still enjoy the S-U-N. I still enjoy how it feels. But now I've moved to the S-U-N, the sun. I'm sorry, the S-O-N, the son of God. So you look at the, the light in, the, in God's you know, in his throne room, you're looking at the light in the millennial kingdom. Let's look at light in one more place, and then we're going to close. Revelation 21, 20 through, 22 through 27. This is, when we look at the dispensations, right? We're in the age of grace, the millennial kingdom, then eternity. At somewhere between the last two, after the great white throne judgment and all evil is destroyed and banished to the lake of fire for eternity, God creates this beautiful city, the new Jerusalem, and it's this cube. It's like 1,400 miles in all three directions. It's like a cube. That's huge. That's um, from here to Florida, give or take. Imagine how big that city is, and he's going to bring it down, almost like a, a present. I kind of look at the end times and I look at all the new beginnings as almost like a playground for redeemed human beings. That's the best way I can describe it. It's so exciting. I love animals, but I certainly wouldn't get into a lion's cage and say, oh, Lord, protect me. Not in this, not in this time. <laughs> but there will be a time where I'll be able to hang out with lions. I'd like to get an up-close look at them. So animals won't hurt each other. There won't be any war. You could travel anywhere around the world and be safe. I'm just giving you little pieces as we go on through the scripture. But this new Jerusalem, this cubical city is going to come down from heaven, right? Revelation 21, 22 through 27. John the Apostle says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city, we keep seeing these, these parallels. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. We just read that in Isaiah. For the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. No security needed. No cops needed. No military, you know. Good stuff. When I was on patrol and I would read this, I'm like, I'm not going to have a job soon. I don't know. I don't know when the Lord's going to do this, but he's certainly not going to need me. <laughs> 
and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, are you written in the Lamb's book of life? You know how you, know how you can be written in the Lamb's book of life? Trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're not that type of church that says, oh, you've got to go through us. Hey, we've got a bunch of rules for you. You've got to give us so much money. We don't do that because that's an abomination. What we're here to do is tell you the way because, you know, somebody told me the way and I got saved and here I am pastoring. I never thought, my wife said to me yesterday, did you ever think 25 years ago if somebody told you that you would be the pastor and I'd be the pastor? We both shake our heads. If God could use a dumb donkey, he can use me, right? Use animals, he can use anybody. At the end of the day, 1 John 1, 5 tells us that God is light. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Remember, metaphors, never walk in darkness. Even though our surroundings may seem to be dark, God will be in us, right? We're never truly alone when we're believers. So let's look at this. Israel had a problem. Israel had a lot of problems. God kept rescuing them. But God in his infinite wisdom knew this can't, this can't go on forever. And in his infinite wisdom knows that humankind in its sinful state can't go on forever. Even the sun, even the scientists say at some point, it's not going to be anytime soon, but the sun will burn itself out. Then what happens to life on this planet? So God made it. And then it's also in a fallen state because of sin. Nothing can just keep going on and on and on. It can't happen. We're seeing some things in technology um, that's kind of creepy. You know, we're seeing, it's not funny, killer robots and artificial intelligence and, um, you know, the the desire to clone human beings with animals. And there's a lot of sick things that are going on in laboratories across this world. And God is, he's very patient because he wants everyone to be saved. But eventually he's going to be like, you know what, time's up. My question to you is, are you going to be on the bus? You're going to make the first bus. Because if you're an optimist, I'm an optimist too, but I'm not optimistic in humankind. Eventually it's going to run out. Revelation judgments are going to take place. Do you want to keep playing Russian roulette with your salvation and saying, well, just a little bit more time. Let me just do this. Let me just do that. Or do you want to come to him today? The Israelites had a choice. Worship other gods, false you know, idols, demons, pay the consequences, or be with God, be close to him, and you know what? You'll be with him for eternity. So this morning, brothers and sisters, for those of you that are Christians, this just edifies you. For those of you that are seeking, God is light. God is love. And Jesus said, if we come to him and we believe in him, we'll be walking in his light and we'll never walk in darkness again. That was attractive to me when I got saved. But my free will and my, my, my old self, it, it just was a delayed effect. And then eventually I gave my whole life to him. So as we close, brighter days. The UN, the media, our government, they're not going to provide the brighter days. If you're looking for brighter days, look no further than Jesus Christ. Let's pray. 
You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.